Okay, welcome into the Three Guys Talking Ball podcast. It is episode 34 of the Walter Payton edition. It's August 4th, 2022. And to start the show off today, he's a recurring guest here. It was on the former name, just the Degress podcast. So now he is making his first Three Guys Talking Ball appearance. It's just Grant and I today from the Three Guys. So Nate is the third for today. As he, if you haven't listened to our first podcast, I encourage you to go do so. It was a good interview. He goes through his story of what he does now and how he became the voice of Memorial Stadium. So, Nate, welcome in. It's good to talk to you again. How's the summer been going? It's been going well. Uh, not quite as busy as the last two. I, I, uh, I had worked with the Fremont Moo the last two summers. That's how we met up uh, during my travels with the Moo and this year, I decided to work with the Omaha Storm Chasers, which has been fun and it's been a little less involved, but summer's going quick. I mean, you blink your eyes and it's August and here we are and uh, we're going to have football that matters here pretty soon. Yeah, uh, most college teams, I believe, are starting this week. Is that correct? I know when, when does Nebraska, I saw they had their media or their fan yes. day last week. Yeah, Nebraska reported a week early. They're playing a week zero game in Ireland. Remember last year, uh, Nebraska played week zero against Illinois. The Huskers were supposed to open, I believe, the 2020 season uh, against Illinois in Ireland. Of course, that was scuttled because of COVID-19. Then 2021, they were hoping to play in Ireland again. That too was pushed back because uh, of COVID. So they played stateside instead. And then uh, this year, they'll finally be able to go out to Ireland to play Northwestern to open the season, but a second straight year where they're playing week zero and a second straight year where they open their season in Big Ten plays. So uh, a little tougher start than than usual. I mean, usually it's just a directional school or an FCS school, but not only are you starting with a big boy, you're starting in conference and uh, it's a challenge for Nebraska, no doubt. Yeah, and well, Northwestern didn't have a great season last year, so you know they're going to be a lot better than they were this year. It just seems where they alternate years as far as where they're good and good and bad. But like I said, how did the, how was the fan day? What's the what is the buzz around this season like for the Huskers? I was pleasantly surprised about fan day because of just sort of the ad hoc. Uh, public sampling that I've gotten. It, there's there's a uh, pensive optimism. I think people uh, are maybe a little less optimistic than usual just because uh, the last few years have been really tough. And, and last year uh, where Nebraska had eight one possession losses and uh, went three and nine, which, which feels incomprehensible, but um, I, I think people, people are a little nervous um, there were big changes on the coaching staff and new offensive coordinator, new line coach. Uh, they hired a special teams coordinator, which they badly needed. Uh, a new starting quarterback in Casey Thompson, a really remade wide receiver room. So my, my sense is people aren't entirely sure what to make of it. Uh, there's hope. There's optimism. 
I think people expect more than three wins, um, but but there's not quite the unbridled optimism that there usually is right now. Okay, Grant, you got. I'll let you ask a couple of questions here. Yeah. So Nate, kind of you mentioned, uh, you know, new quarterback in Casey Thompson. You know, the transfer portal has taken over college football uh, these last two years, and especially to find a starting quarterback. I'm just curious because last year um, in that Iowa game, I believe it was was it Logan Smothers? Was he the he was a quarterback for the Huskers that day? I thought he played well, and I thought he looked like he had a nice future um, for Nebraska this upcoming season. Or or does Scott Frost and staff know that? you know, hey, our jobs could be on the line. Let's maybe go out and get a veteran who's played in the Big 12, played a road game at Arkansas last year because we need to win now. Um, what Do you know what was the kind of the thought process on the coaching staff in terms of trying to get someone in the transfer portal? Well, you mentioned Logan Smothers, and he is more of a running quarterback. Uh, and mm-hmm. And so even where the offense was last year, uh, with Matt Lubick as the offensive coordinator, uh, with with all the assistants they had on that side of the ball, it was going to be a more run-based offense. And even in that offense, I'm not sure that Logan Smothers would be your starter this year. He's in competition uh, for the starting role. I think I think it's a pretty safe bet that Casey Thompson takes the first snap in Ireland um, against Northwestern. Uh, and then you factor in the fact that Mark Whipple has come in as Nebraska's offensive coordinator. And he was the offensive coordinator last year at Pitt. And Whipple has a more pro-style offense in mind. I, I don't know that it's going to be a total West Coast drop back strictly, but there are going to be more of those elements in the offense. And, and I don't think Logan Smothers' passing game has quite progressed to where he could run that offense successfully for 12 games. That Iowa game, uh, he he did hold up pretty well. I was impressed with his first three quarters, but it felt like that fourth quarter, Iowa started to hone in on him. They were starting to put some pressure on him and, and really slowed him down. So uh, I think he has some development yet to go before he's a viable candidate as a starting quarterback. And, and you mentioned, I mean, this is a make it or break it year for, for Scott Frost. There are not many uh, football coaches in the country that have four losing seasons and get a fifth. Uh, and, and Trev Alberts, Nebraska's athletic director, noted progress, noted improvement, but at the same time, you were three and nine last year and, mm-hmm. and have not gone to a bowl game. And at some point you need to, to have results. I think the changes that Nebraska's made in their coaching staff and the pickups that they've gotten from the transfer portal, especially on the offensive side of the ball, will set up an improved season, but there needs to be improvement. Uh, so so the urgency of the year probably hurt Logan Smothers' chances to start uh, as well. And, and then just the fact that the offense, I think, is going to look more like a pro-style offense. Okay, and then who are, like you mentioned, the Trent, they've gone pretty heavy in the transfer portal. Who are some other guys outside of Casey Thompson to look out for for this year? Well, uh, wide receiver Trey Palmer uh, that came from LSU. Nebraska hired LSU's wide receivers coach, Mm -hmm. Mickey Joseph. Mickey Joseph 
was a quarterback at Nebraska in the late 80s and early 90s and has become very successful as a wide receivers coach uh, and had been LSU's wide receivers coach the last few years. Uh, so when Mickey left LSU, Trey Palmer came with him. Uh, Isaiah Castaneda Garcia is another guy to look for uh, among the wide receivers. There are a couple of offensive linemen uh, that I think are going to be big factors. Um, they're, they're probably going to start. Uh, only two returning starters are back from last year now that uh, Nareedan uh, Nuili uh, has been suspended for the year for a failed drug test. Uh, but Nebraska picked up uh, one offensive lineman from Oklahoma State and another uh, who's an Omaha native from Colorado State. I think those two guys uh, will start. So those are just some guys, especially the offensive side of the ball. They've they picked up a couple of guys on the defensive side of the ball as well. Uh, O'Shawn Mathis uh, is, a, is an edge rusher. Uh, Nebraska has typically been a 3-4 team uh, under uh, Eric Chenander, uh, the defensive coordinator. It sounds as if this year they're going to be a little more flexible between a four-man front and a three-man front. Uh, Mathis factors in as both a defensive end with his hand on the ground and a four-man front, and then as a stand-up outside linebacker. So uh, those are the big additions from the transfer portal. Two other guys that are going to matter, uh, the kicker and the putter. Nebraska was not good on special teams last year. They were, they were awful. There's just no other way to say it. Uh, and so they add Tommy Bleakroad from Furman to be the kicker. Uh, and then they add uh, the punter of the year last year at the FCS level, uh, Brian Buscini. And, and between those two guys and the hiring of Bill Bush as the special teams coordinator, uh, I think Nebraska is going to be vastly improved on special teams. And, and really, there's plenty of room for improvement on that side. Yeah, for and then sure. Eight, so, oh, go ahead, Grant. I was going to say, uh, kind of back to, you know, the game in Ireland, uh, you mm -hmm. know, in week zero. What, um, why has Nebraska and its administration wanted to go to Ireland so, so bad these last two years before it got canceled this year? Is it just a chance to, um, ex you know, explore their, their name uh, overseas? Or is it something to, you know, tell potential recruits, hey, we've gotten to Ireland, our team had a good time, we played a game, we won. What, what's the urgency to go overseas? Well, I, I'm sure there was a financial guarantee from the, the folks in Ireland that are organizing this game. Uh, they've, there have been a couple of college games over there in the past. I think Penn State played over there. Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame played over there a few years ago. <laughs> and so the organizers wanted a team with a great reputation for traveling to away games because, of course, this is all a ploy to boost uh, uh, tourism in, in Ireland and mm -hmm. of course Nebraska has a great reputation for travel and uh, it, they're not selling a home game mind you it's been north it's been Illinois initially and then Northwestern uh, mm -hmm. so the organizers are going to first Illinois and then Northwestern with a pretty sizable financial guarantee uh, to essentially sell one of their home games to this organizing committee in Ireland. Uh, so it, it's, it's one of those deals where both teams are getting some money out of the deal. 
I'm sure secondarily it's a nice uh, recruiting pitch. One other thought is playing a week zero game. Yeah, you have much more urgency in your preseason practice and, and your summer conditioning. The upside is you get an extra off week. And, and so that, that can be helpful as the year goes on that, that you get a chance to, to gas some more guys up and, and, and give some guys some rest in the middle of the season uh, and get some extra rest for your guys while everybody else has played six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks in a row. So, but, you know, mainly as our most issues in college football, it comes down to money. There's enough money uh, slid across the table at Nebraska for them to sign on to this. And then for, again, first Illinois and then Northwestern uh, to want to essentially sell a home game to these organizers from Ireland. Okay. Do you know, are there a lot of people in the Nebraska area that are going to be flying out to that game or is it, what's the, uh, do you, I'm guessing there has to be a lot of buzz around this game, a lot of excitement about it. There is a buzz and an excitement about it. I, I think uh, the team struggles the past couple of years have probably taken a little bit of, of the oomph off of it. And then um, the difficult financial conditions that we're all going through as far as high gas prices and the pandemic, and all of that. So that that's kind of tempered the buzz for this. I know at last check, uh, there were a total of 30,000 tickets sold. Uh, and, and the uh, stadium they're going to in Ireland seats 50. Um, so 30,000 tickets, that's Nebraska fans, Northwestern fans, uh, folks uh, who live in, in England and Ireland uh, who are football fans just in general wanting to see that. So, you know, I don't know how that stacks up with the organizers' expectations, um, but you know, I, I expect a decent number of Nebraska fans to make the trip. Okay. Are you going to be making the trip? Sadly? No. Uh, once upon a time, there would have been a pretty good chance. Um, my, I, uh, used to work full time with Oscar sports network. Uh, I would, I would make most, if not all the football road trips, uh, when the pandemic hit in 2020, uh, Learfield IMG college laid me off and, uh, then Learfield lost the rights uh, going into the 21 football season. And though I do some contract work and some freelance work and part-time work with them, uh, I'm not a full-time member of the radio crew uh, for football games. So unfortunately, I'm going to be I'm going to be back at home cussing up my TV just like everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got you. Uh, so this year, it, like you said, Scott Frost has had not had the fairy tale return home that most people have expected he, this is a do or die year what would you say would be kind of the minimal expectations for him to keep his job well trev alberts nebraska's athletic director has been maybe a little evasive and, and wisely so you yep. don't want you know everybody with a counter to sit there and say okay he, he's not won enough games. Are you going to fire him? You know, especially if you start out slowly uh, to begin the season. I think a bowl game, barring some significant injuries or, or some really bad luck, I think this team's got to go to a bowl game. You know, you have to win six games. Um, and that would represent significant improvement. 
and you know it would represent double the number of wins the schedule's a little more favorable this year last year nebraska had to play michigan ohio state and michigan state uh this year nebraska only has to play michigan which is a tough game uh but the other two crossovers are a little more manageable um the interesting part is last year the schedule was very very backloaded and, and so that put a lot of pressure at the early part of the year nebraska goes out they lose at illinois they lose to oklahoma which most people expected they go up to uh, Michigan State and lose. This year, the schedule is similar in that most of the meat of the schedule is on the back end with uh, a three-game finishing stretch of Michigan, Wisconsin, or at Michigan, Wisconsin and Lincoln at Iowa. That's a damn tough three-game stretch. Yeah. Uh, so this Husker team is going to have to come out firing. Now, I think most people expect this team to, to start five and one or somewhere in that realm. Um, I, I think that's a fairly reasonable expectation, not to say that the Northwestern game doesn't scare you because until last year, Northwestern had played Nebraska really tough. Um, and, and, and like you said, it seems to be an every other year thing with, with Northwestern, but it's a season where Nebraska for a variety of reasons, whether it's building confidence, whether it's, taking some heat off of Scott Frost, silencing the narrative of a coach trying to save his job. They have to start out strong. Uh, and, and so this Northwestern game is really, really, really critical. Uh, and then from there, you know, you, you expect this team to get off to a good start. Uh, you hope they can find six wins. Um, you know, the funny part is, and, and I never thought I'd live to see this day in Nebraska, but the expectations have become much more realistic. You know, there isn't a whole lot of talk of Indianapolis and being in contention for much of anything. I, I, I think Nebraska fans have a realistic understanding that this team has a long way to go and, and has to display a lot of improvement just to be into a bowl game solidly. So I, I feel like, Coming into the year, hot start is so important for a number of reasons. And then hopefully that gives you a little momentum to make some noise on the back end of the schedule. Yeah, Nate, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, you know, Northwestern week zero. Yep. And then is it what a bye? And then is it North Dakota and Oklahoma at home? Uh, Nebraska has a uh, home game uh, in between there. They play uh, UND that Labor Day weekend in Lincoln. They We're all Georgia Husker Southern. fans that week, Nate. What's that? We're all Husker fans that week. <laughs> Both of us went to NDSU, so. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can't let the rivals sneak in. UND's had a nice little program. I, I hope Nebraska fans aren't taking that game lightly. They've been, they're not North Dakota State, mind you. No. The Bison have been the, the, the class of FCS football, but UND's been – pretty competitive i know they were a little down last year but uh so they've got und uh the weekend of labor day they've got georgia southern and then they have the ou game uh and you know i i hope nebraska hangs in as well as they did last year there are a lot of reasons to believe that nebraska can against the Sooners when you consider um their first road game new head coach and brent venables uh new 
quarterback down there. You'd like to think that Nebraska could could make some noise in that game. And then, you know, Indiana, Rutgers, and Purdue, you feel like there are two wins there at least. And, and so you're, you're, you know, you're talking about a seven and one start or a, or a six and two somewhere in there. And again, that's, that, that's what needs to happen. Um, they, they host Minnesota the first week of November and then that murderers road to end the year. So, like I said, this, this team needs to come out firing early. It worries you a little bit with all the changes, uh, especially offensive coordinator, offensive line coach, running backs coach, wide receivers coach. And all of them are really good hires, Mike. I, I like uh, the, the guys they hired in those spots. But, you know, how well will they be able to mesh? And how well will Mark Whipple be able to mesh in play calling? Because that's the other facet of this is Mark Whipple is Nebraska's offensive coordinator. He's called plays, but he is taking the play calling duties away from Scott Frost, who had been his own play caller uh, through the first seven years of his head coaching career. And, and before that made his bones as Oregon's offensive coordinator. So how, how does that communication settle in? How quickly does that settle in? I think that's a huge part uh, of how Nebraska gets to that good start that hopefully uh, propels them through the rest of the year. So well, and also, Oh, go ahead, Grant. I was going to say, you know, for Mark Whipple, it's a change. No Kenny Pickett, no Jordan Addison uh, on your roster when you're calling plays either. Oh yeah. No, it, it's a different picture. And uh, you mm -hmm. know, I found the uh, comments of Pat Narduzzi Pitts head coach <laughs> a little disturbing. I mean, uh, from Narduzzi's standpoint, because look, yeah, an offensive coordinator that has one of the best quarterbacks in the country and the wide, the Boletnikov award winner, he should be throwing <laughs> the football. <laughs> you know? So uh, I'll be interested to see, I, I, you know, Mark Whipple has so much experience as an offensive coordinator, as a, uh, as an assistant coach. I, I don't think he'll have any trouble uh, adjusting how he calls his offense to fit his personnel. Uh, and, and you look at where Nebraska is strong. You know, Anthony Grant was a nice uh, Juco transfer uh, at running back. Uh, and Ramir Johnson comes back. And I've always liked his athletic ability, but he's not produced at, at a terribly high level. So uh, especially if the transfers come out uh, as well as uh, I think they will, especially at wide receiver and quarterback. Nebraska is probably going to throw the football a little more than we're used to seeing them throw it. Uh, so that that jives with what I, I think Mark Whipple wants to do anyway. But it's going to be an adjustment for all of us, really. Yeah, well, and like that's another thing that you talked about is Scott Frost isn't calling plays for the first time, which is has he said that he's giving full control to Whipple or will Scott still have some type of say in the offense as far as play calling goes in the game. I'm sure he's going to have give his two cents during game during prep and everything. But has he said that he's giving the full as far as play calling? What he says go, what Whipple will call in the game. Scott Frost won't undermine him or overstep him and change anything. Well, I, I think a head coach always has a level of input, especially. Uh, 
on the side of the ball where his expertise lies, uh, wherever that might be. You know, Nick Saban will always have something to say yeah. uh, about his defense, for instance. Uh, but I think the vast majority of play calling responsibility and decision making will rest with Mark Whipple. I mean, you look at his experience um, and, and I can't imagine him leaving what was, you know, Pat Narduzzi's comments notwithstanding, pretty good situation and a successful situation at Pitt to come to Nebraska if he wasn't going to have a, maybe not absolute power, but a, a very significant voice uh, and, and most of the control and play calling. So, uh, you know, I don't know that it's total, absolute, you know, Mark Whipple won't take word one from Scott Frost, but I, I do think that Mark Whipple uh, will more or less be authoring Nebraska's offensive game. Okay. And then you mentioned they've, well, added, they've added a couple of transfers on the offensive line. What is the, what's the, what's the expectation for the Nebraska offensive line this year? It, it's the biggest question mark. Uh as I mentioned, Reed and uh, Nuili, who played pretty well last year, uh, was suspended for the season due to a failed drug test. Uh, Nebraska's center, Cam Jurgens, uh, was their best offensive lineman last year. He left a year early for the NFL uh, and was drafted by Philadelphia, and I think the Eagles are even planning on starting him. Um, you know, Turner Corcoran, uh, an offensive tackles, a question. Teddy Prohaska is coming off a knee injury, but he was good when he played, but he went down with injury. So I think there are significant questions about the offensive line. Add to it uh, a new offensive line coach in Donovan Riola. His brother Dominic uh, was an All-American center at Nebraska. Donovan actually went to Wisconsin played for the Badgers, and then ended up uh, serving as an assistant coach for the Chicago Bears for a time. So there are just so many unknowns, especially on that offensive line, uh, I, to try and form expectations. There are possibilities there, but it, it's just really tough to say. Okay, Grant, did you... I just, um, you know, kind of one quick question, you know, kind of away from the X's and O's, but yeah. in Memorial Stadium themselves, Nate, from uh, opposing and visiting 10 teams, I'm kind of talking, talking fan bases now, which ones would you say travel the best, are the most energetic and the most passionate? And then kind of secondly, which ones would you maybe say, they maybe aren't the nicest people? You know, they don't come in volume, but they're, they're nasty and they're a little mean. And you see that team on the schedule and you're like, ah, these people are coming in, into, town, into town. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I can speak for when I was going out on the road uh, with, with the team um, and with our radio crew. I always loved going to Michigan State. Uh, their people are tremendous. Um, they're, it's a nice stadium. They're, they've been a good team. You know, I was surprised that they were able to find a way to beat Nebraska last year. Uh, but, but by and large, good people, good fan base, good team, good stadium. Uh, I like Michigan State people a lot. 
Um, the one that I don't like is Wisconsin. Um, you'd be surprised at how dilapidated Camp Randall Stadium is for as good as that program has been. And, and let me preface this. They have put together a great football program the last 25 years. Um, but Camp Randall is not a good stadium. It's located in a bad place uh, where it's right next to their fraternity row and, and their fans don't exactly welcome the opposition. I think their student section's a little overrated. I mean, I, I think they have some special um, policy about how they let them in like one at a time. And yeah, everybody talks about jump around and that's really cool or whatever, but they miss the entire first quarter. Uh, their student section is maybe half full for the entire first quarter. Because uh, it just takes so long to shuffle them in? Yeah, I, I think they take their time. It takes so long to shuffle them in. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, there's, there's a little bad blood between Nebraska and Wisconsin. Um, so I, that's, the, that's the one I don't like. You know, Iowa has traveled well in Memorial Stadium. Uh, obviously, it's a close trip. Um, the the Iowa fan base uh, that lives in Western Iowa and the Omaha Metro, uh, that's their chance. I mean, they're only 45 minutes away from Lincoln. And so the game in Lincoln is closer than either the Cyhawk game or any of the Iowa home games. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and two, you know, Iowa fans had to hear for 30 years about Nebraska football. And whether they lived in Omaha or they lived in Western Iowa and you know, the Western third quarter of the state is kind of disputed territory. There are plenty of Husker fans that live just across the border. And, and so the Iowa fans have some pent up energy. They have had their best decade in years on years and Nebraska's had their worst. And, and so that's opened up some tickets and the Iowa fans have shown up and, but, you know, as far as aggressive animosity or anything toward them, not really, you know, I, I've never really felt like they've treated Nebraska all that badly when they go to Kinnick. Uh, I don't know that Nebraska fans have gone out of their way to show their displeasure with Iowa fans when they come to Lincoln. I don't think we like each other much, but I don't think there's the hate there that Nebraska had for Colorado or they have for Wisconsin. Okay. And I would agree. The, oh, go ahead, Grant. I was just going to say, I've had a couple of friends go to the Iowa Nebraska game in Lincoln. And every time they come back, they say just how great the people of Lincoln are. They're very welcoming. Um, you know, they're glad you're in the stadium, you're watching the game, you're traveling to watch it. So that just kind of confirms that, yeah. um, you know, fans might not like each other, but there's no am not am big word I'm trying to say animosity yeah, there yeah. between um, between the two fan bases. No, no, I I think it, we see a lot of similarities with each other, um, mm -hmm. and, and you know, Husker fans will will needle Iowa a little bit for not having won more championships, but you know, the last five to ten years, there's no question. Iowa football's been better than Nebraska. Drives me nuts that I have to say it, but but there's no argument. There's no 
disagreement. Um, and, and so there's some respect there to look at an Iowa and go, that's a program that does it right. And, and is year in, year out, consistently good. They, they hit their ceiling. Um, I don't know if they're a national championship contender, but damned if they're not in the Big Ten West race every year, you know? Yeah, and I just got a couple more questions here before you let you let you go. But uh, what was you mentioned? Kind of the bad blood between Nebraska and Wisconsin. What what the, has that stemmed from? Well, so I, there, there's some of that that has to do with um, Nebraska playing their first Big Ten game at Camp Randall in 2011. And there was a pretty concerted effort by Nebraska fans to try and overtake Camp Randall Stadium um, and, and make their presence known, you know, like Nebraska has done in, in several road venues. Uh, I think there's the similarity in program. There's the fact that Barry Alvarez, who built Wisconsin football essentially from nothing, first as their head coach, then there as, as their athletic director, is a Nebraska grad and, and played at Nebraska and, and, and sort of the frustration that it's one of our own, essentially building a program like ours that that's beating us. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think there's a different mentality about places like Wisconsin, um, places like Michigan, Ohio State, although I must say, Ohio State fans have been great. Michigan fans have been just fine. Uh, I mentioned Michigan State fans have been good, but there's a little bit more of an edge to Big Ten fan bases than there were to Big 12 fan bases. And I don't know if it's more city people. I don't know if it's uh, the Rust Belt mentality against a more agricultural mentality. It's just a little more nasty. And then you know, couple it with Nebraska thinking that they would come into this league and, and dominate and they've done anything but and kind of gunning for Wisconsin. And so far, they've not been able to get them. Okay. And then two more. So uh, what, what, if you had to guess the record for Nebraska this year, what would you, what would you put it as? And what would be, I guess we could say what you expect, what, the ceiling and what the floor would be for this 2022 Nebraska team as far well, as record goes. Yeah. You, you know, I, I, I can see this team getting seven or eight wins, um, which, which feels crazy because I mean, that's plus five, uh, that's a five game improvement, but I mentioned Nebraska lost by one score eight times last year. Uh, I think they've made some pretty significant changes I think the schedule's quite a bit more favorable. So I think that all sets up better. Um, but they have to finish off games. That, you know, you, you look at how the, you know, the yards they allowed versus the yards they gained. Nebraska should have been much better than three and nine last year. But what killed them? Turnovers and special teams. And, and that's been a hole in this program, not just under Scott Frost, but really the last five, seven years. So have they limit, are they limiting turnovers? You know, are they limiting their own turnover? 
others and ideally getting some themselves, but just hold on to the ball yourself. Uh, and then are you able to win the field position battle? And when you drive to the opponent's 25 yard line, is that a guaranteed three points? And, and that really hasn't been the last five years or so. So if, if turnovers and special teams are cleaned up, this is a team that I think can compete for the Big Ten West and, and be a seven or eight win team and maybe even better. If they've not cleaned it up, you know, it, it could be three or four. Um, but, but there's just so many unknowns. With, with this program right now, you know, the schematics, uh, the play calling, just how things are going to set up. It's almost a fool's errand to try and pick where this team's going to land. I got you. And then, so last question before we let you go, I had more of a discussion here, but mm -hmm. so 2014, last game of the year, the day after Thanksgiving, we're going to give you a little shot because you haven't had many in these last between Iowa and Nebraska. We're going to give you a chance to let you boast a little bit about that 2014 Iowa-Nebraska game and what was Bo Pelini's last game, and it was a good yeah. one to end on to end the Bo Pelini. Uh, the era. Yeah. Era, well, yeah. So you know, just take us through that game because for the people who don't know, Iowa was up big for most of that game, and I'll let you take it away, Nate. Well, you know, it, it was a deal where we used up all our good special teams that day. The <laughs> Mornay personnel. Uh, returned a couple of punts for a touchdown. And then uh, in overtime, Kenny Bell caught a ball for a touchdown. And, you know, I would love to crack on Iowa a little more about that game. Uh, but the next day, uh, Sean Eichhorst, Nebraska's then athletic director, said, well, you know, that was a nice win yesterday, but we had to look where Iowa was. And heaven help me, I think that comment, much as anything, fired up Iowa. It fired up Kirk Ferentz and got him going in another gear and they've been locked in ever since. So, you know, I love that game. I enjoyed that game. It was a lot of fun, but man, oh man, all it did was hack off Iowa. It, it ended, it, it was a bittersweet end of the Bo Pelini era. Uh, and, and it's been kind of downhill since I'm hoping, I'm hoping that's not the case, but uh, uh, unfortunately it, there haven't been many days like 2014 Iowa since. And Dylan, if I could add something to that, um, you know, Nate, you brought up how that just probably pissed off Kirk Ferentz and the Iowa staff. Let's not forget, after that 2014 year, Iowa lost its four major rivalry games. Cyhawk got torched at Minnesota. I was there when it was about 10 degrees outside. <laughs> Lost a game against Wisconsin, where Wisconsin was dominating that whole game, but Iowa came back in the fourth, made it a game, and then, you know, the letdown they had against Nebraska the week after. Well, to start that offseason, after they got destroyed by Tennessee in the bowl game, Iowa took a sledgehammer to all four of their trophy cases and broke them. Huh. Instead, we're never letting this happen again. We lose to all four teams. Um, you know, I think 2015, you know, they got all four trophies and since then they've only been Wisconsin twice, but yeah, you're right. Nate, that game pissed a lot of people off in Iowa city. And they said, we're not losing all four trophy games ever again. So they smashed the trophy cases. Yeah. yeah it, it, it's been rough since then. Like I said, I I'm hoping 
uh, that things turn around for Nebraska football. If they will turn around, at least with this regime, uh, it's going to happen this year. Um, but like I said, just so many unknowns. It, 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 it'll be a fun story to follow and watch. I just hope Nebraska's on the better end of <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And well, Nate, thank you again for joining us. We'll have to get you on as maybe a maybe a midseason report update how how you and the rest of the Husker fans are feeling. But thank you again for joining us. We really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me, gentlemen. Good to talk football with you. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Nate. Alrighty. Thank you, guys. You bet. See ya. Okay, thank you again for to Nate for joining us. That was a good conversation. It was fun. We able to end it with Stiff and Grant a little bit. But Nate Grant, what was kind of your biggest takeaway from that Nate in our interview with Nate? Um, well, first off, let's let the Wisconsin shit talking begin. <laughs> Not only are Packer fans awful people, but just the whole the people of the state of Wisconsin are just awful people too. <laughs> um, that 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 was a joy to see. But on on the football end. For me, the big thing was is the complete offensive overhaul that Scott Frost is going to be bringing in this fall with this fall camp starting. You know, because everyone knows his offense he had when he ran at Oregon, when he was head coach at UCF. He was going to bring that to Nebraska. When he was hired in 2018, him and his offensive coordinator said, you know, the conditioning has been good for these guys this offseason. They're out of shape. Our offensive linemen, they've lost some weight. We're going to be going a little faster. And their offense hasn't been able to consistently stay on the field over these last four years and win them games. So for Scott to totally kind of say, you know what, reset because my job is on the line. Everywhere else in this country, he would have been fired. LSU would have fired him after that Michigan State debacle last year. Um, Tennessee, Arizona, Arizona State, Clemson, North Carolina, any other school. If Scott Frost was there, he'd have been gone. So he knows his job is on the line and he's going to say, you know what? I'm going to hire people I can trust. I'm going to trust them to run my offense. And maybe now he'll be more of a CEO where he never had a special teams coordinator before. That's, that's incredible. Um, no wonder why Iowa blocked a kick last year and returned to the house that changed that game. So I think Scott sitting back saying, you know what? I need to put my ego to the side, hire hopefully some good people for Nebraska's sake and be more of a CEO to actually run this um, program because his job is on the line. Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the biggest things take things is too, is, is he went heavy with the transfer portal and it's, there's a lot of talent in there, but it's, if you can get everybody to buy in, get everybody on that same page, because there is a difference, you know, philosophies, different things like that. And if they're able to, like if Casey Thompson is a home run home run pickup for the Huskers. Like Nate said, I think they can win eight, seven to eight, seven or eight games just well, because then, they're going to have a quarterback advantage in a good portion. Let's not forget the transfer portal. When he was transferring in the, in the winter of 2019, Joe Burrow was a sixth round pick and wanted to go to Nebraska in the portal and Scott and his staff sent in with the skill set, excuse me, set out to 2018, excuse me. Um, his breakout year was 19, but he played at LSU the forgotten year in 2018. Uh, these Nebraska coaches said, hey, he doesn't fit our skill set. He's not our guy. Would he have became Joe Burrow at Nebraska? We don't know. But 
Um, again, now really trying to hit it in the portal after they missed it that first time. Um, so yeah, that, you know, that, that'll be big. And, you know, this is Casey Thompson's last shot also to try to make it, make any money playing football at the next level. So he knows if, if I fail, Scott's going to fail and if Scott fails, I'm going to fail. So they're kind of going out together. Yeah. And we'll, we'll see what happens, but I, I think they, like we we've discussed off air that we think they, they at least they're going to go six and six, find a way to get to a bowl. Their schedule sets up favorably at the start of the year, but they, at the end of the day, games they should have won last year against on paper they should have yeah. won they didn't win in like what nate said that northwestern game you gotta have it yep you gotta beat north dakota and you gotta beat um georgia southern georgia southern which is a tough game georgia southern's a good little football team out of the Sun Belt. clay helton and um that Oklahoma game, you know, I think if people had to pick a loss, that's the loss. Cause yeah, you know, Oklahoma, they lost a lot of talent, but it's still Oklahoma still have Marvin Mims, Dylan Gabriel. And I think that Oklahoma defense is going to be better under Brent Venables. So you got to have that Northwestern game. And then that three game stretch that he was talking about, uh, was it Indiana, Purdue and uh, Rutgers? Yep. You got, you got to win those. But even before they get to that murderer's row, he called those last three games. Let's not write off the Golden Gophers. They have owned Scott Frost um, since Scott Frost has taken over. So their last four games, it's big. Because if they don't have at least five wins going into that stretch, I don't know if I can see them winning two of those games because they should have beaten the Gophers two years ago in 2020 when the Gophers had 30 players out with COVID. But the Gophers found a way to win and they've Beat the, beat the hell out of them these last two years in Minneapolis. So their last four games are tough. Let's not write off the Gophers as a tough opponent uh, for the Huskers, too. No, and I think I think the way this, this – if I had to guess, I think the way this season is going to go for Nebraska is how they play out in Ireland versus Northwestern. I think if they if they start out the year one and all, I think that's going to set the tone and help them propel them, give them a little bit of confidence. Because anytime you win your first game, you just the just the vibes around that locker room. It's just gonna feel better. They've, I think the they've food. only they've only started the, started out the year under Scott Frost one and one time. I believe that's correct in nineteen when they beat Fresno State. Or, correct. Yeah, it would have been Fresno State. Correct. So, it, it it would be something new, and if they get that i think there's going to be some confidence they're going to start to feel better they get an extra bye week because they're playing in week zero so they'll get some extra time to prepare i don't have their schedule in front of me but hope if it, if it works out they're going to have a who knows they might get it in front of a big game where they get that extra week to prepare well and like what nate said this is another interesting part mark whipple coming over as offensive coordinator you know like what nate said Pat Narduzzi was a defensive-minded head coach, you know, the former defensive coordinator at Michigan State. Defense was his expertise. So he gave the keys to the offensive car to Mark Whipple. It was Mark Whipple's car to drive. Well, at Nebraska, he's going to have some control. But what happens, even if, you know, let's say they beat Northwestern week one, um, but there's some, some slumps offensively. They're not moving the ball well against North Dakota and Georgia and then Georgia Southern and you play Oklahoma and if you don't beat them, could there be some small friction where Scott wants to come in and put his wrinkle back on the offense because he knows it's important. And if, if they can't 
get this offense uh, um, playing the way they want it to with his specific philosophy, could that bring some issues on this coaching staff too, and then rub off onto this players, these players. So, that, so that'll be something for us to watch as the year goes on. Can Mark Whipple's offense mesh um, and play at a high level so Scott can continue to maybe be a CEO and not have to second guess his offensive coordinator causing friction? Yeah, and that's always a huge question too. So we'll see how that relationship works out. Nebraska plays Northwestern August 27th, and that game is at 1030 Mountain, 1130 Central on Fox. I'm guessing that'll be Joel Klatt and Gus on the call. Nebraska opens as a 12-and-a-half-point favorite. So we'll see, and we'll move over. The trade deadline is – we're recording this on Monday, so the trade deadline is Tuesday. So by the time this episode drops, we won't – Twins, as of now, have not made any moves, so we'll see if anything happens. It doesn't seem like they're going to because there just really isn't a whole lot available right now. Luis Castillo was moved. Mm-hmm. Move to the Mariners, and there's not really any relievers as either. So, was the Twins are on a slide? Didn't didn't Oakland? Did they trade a reliever today to the Yankees? Yep, as well. And then you know the the major trade, um, Hater being traded to the Padres. Yep. Um, so. But yeah, like you said, for the Twins, there's just not a whole lot of options out there, which is less than ideal. With Especially looking how the way they've been playing and they've been reeling and. <laughs> They're still in first. As we record this, it's 2-2. They're playing the Tigers, and it's in the bottom of the eighth. I think they had two runners on when I was looking up this. Is, is that a three-game set or, or a four-game set against the I Tigers? believe it's a three. Well, I believe it's a three. Three or four, we, we got to win this series. Yep, because they haven't won their, their last two out of the break, other than sweeping Detroit. Yep. So do that, and that's about all we'll have for the Twins. and. The big news that dropped on Monday today was Deshaun Watson. It was announced that Deshaun Watson, Cleveland Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson, was suspended for six games for his. Well, violating the league's yeah, personal conduct policy. Violating the league's conduct, personal conduct policy. The judge presiding of it over it, Sue Robinson, I think she basically gave out the six game suspension based off of precedent, based off of what. Ezekiel Elliott, Zeke Elliott got with the Cowboys back in 17. Big Ben got six games. And the NFL Players Association announced Sunday night that they would not appeal it. However, the NFL has until 9 Eastern time on Thursday to decide if they want to appeal the suspension to get it up to more games. This was a situation we're not going to get into I mean, he, Deshaun, he was never charged. He just had the civil suits against him. We could debate if it's a fair suspension or not. Everybody will have their opinion. It's going to defer throughout. I, like I said, I feel this was based off of precedent. And no matter what he got suspended, if he would have gotten suspended no games, people would have whined. If he got suspended six games like he did, and people are whining, complaining about it. And then if he would have been suspended a whole season, people would have said it wasn't enough. People would have said it was too much. So we don't want to get into a debate on how if the suspension, but I, the guy, if you have 
And, and it's also interesting too with this ruling is is that he is only allowed to work with a team, the team massage therapist now. So it, it's a very complicated issue, and we don't have all the facts. We'll never know all the facts. We'll never know what went on but it is six games and I'll just let Grant go ahead and talk a little bit now it it, like you said it kind of sounds like it's just precedented because I think like I said on an earlier episode for any violation of the personal conduct policy it is a minimum six game suspension or is it or is that for um was that for some sort of abuse like domestic abuse or assault yeah, um, that, that, yep. that's right. Yeah, if you got charged with any sort of domestic violence, it was six games. So I was I was wrong there. But to your point, like you said, this just feels like precedented. This you know federal judge she oversaw the case, saw facts from facts in and um, testimony from Deshaun and his attorneys, and then the was it twenty six women or 20, 27 women? I in their in their attorneys, I think it was twenty six. Yep. Um. And he settled he, all but I believe he all just one. has one now because it was announced one. this morning before the suspension came yeah. out that he has settled three of the four that were still pending against him. So he so does have one left. Something tells me this is a, just a suspicion here, but after hearing all the testimony of the judge, she maybe came to a conclusion that there wasn't enough evidence to like really lay the hammer down into Sean, given that year-long suspension that the NFL had hoped, or even those eight games and kind of looked at it like the Zeke Elliott case, how we never had all the facts. I mean, the NFL made a decision. They just wanted to make a decision and look right in the public eye. So that's, that's kind of where these six games uh, to me come from. I could be wrong. I could be right. We'll, we'll never know because nobody's going to know the truth on this, um, you know, situation here. But what's interesting is, is, it's, it's a, it's a complex thing to talk about, but James, I think it was James, no, Tom Pelissero said today on NFL network that if the NFL would appeal this suspension to get more games added than the six, they would have to rely on testimony. Not that um, wasn't said, but by what was said. So they'd almost have to change like the wording or try to essentially have the judge change her mind based off what what was said and not what wasn't said during this case. So it, I think it's just going to be tough. Um, and even if, he, if, if the NFL does appeal, Deshaun's legal team will probably take some action back before you know it, just like Tom Brady's deflate gate suspension, how it got pushed back a whole year. We might have a situation like this where yeah. if the NFL does take action within these three days, uh, we're not going to have anything for a year. So that also tells me the NFL might just sit back and say, you know what, we'll take the six games. And then Roger Goodell can look at it like, this was not my suspension I handed out. I handed this to an independent party, a federal judge. She looked over all, all the testimony that she was given and she made a decision. This isn't my black eye for another suspension uh, mishap. And it's also important to point out that the judge did not get see all 26 look over all 26 she was just handed the four active ones at the time so those were and that's what she was able to base her ruling off was was only those four lawsuits so she didn't even have it all either because she can only look at the four that were handed to her because those were the four that at the time 
were not settled. Yep, exactly. Okay. Yeah, I mean, and to your point, that changes everything. Because if if we have 22 more test, you know, testimonies, that could make Deshaun um, look like a horrible person who does bad things, or it could just maybe lead to more more of the unknown things things we don't know what happened or what didn't happen. Yeah, and it's it's terrible, and we're not going to get whole into all the everything else that involves that case we're going to switch over that but can I say, oh yep go ahead what just looking at that brown schedule today um it is a little favorable for those first six games when he's gone but man when deshaun comes back their first game is a divisional game against baltimore and then i don't know who they play after that but then the week after that they play the Bengals. um they do play one game against steelers when he's going to be suspended but if we're just talking about field play they're going to get him back at the right time with still two games against the Ravens, two games against the Bengals and the teeth of that schedule. So right now the people in Cleveland are holding their fingers, crossing their fingers, excuse me, thinking we can get by these six games because if you get that, that quarterback on the field during that teeth of the schedule, those Browns can be a team to mess around with. Well, and I'm, I'm going to be curious to see what they actually do with him in the preseason because he didn't play at all last year. And if he doesn't, if he does, and he was not going to be playing those first six games, so he's going to be missing a year and a half of football. So I think the Browns would be smart to get him out a little bit, just so they can shake a little bit of rust off. Because not playing for almost for a year and a half, there's going to be a lot of rust there. And and yeah, to get around those live bullets, and it also is important to note that this suspension is like any other normal suspension, where it officially begins. Monday, I think Friday of the uh, after the regular season, where so he can go all he can practice preseason. all the way through training camp and play some preseason games. It's when the regular season clock starts where he's got to turn his phone off and be away from the facility for six weeks. Yep. So at least have all summer in a few preseason games, like you said, to, to get around those live bullets and have people falling at his knees again. Yes, and we'll we'll move over. We'll actually basically just go across the country out to San Francisco where it was announced on Sunday that Debo Samuel signed ended his hold in because it's not a holdout anymore. He showed up, he just didn't practice, which whatever. And it was a three-year 73.5 million dollar extension with 58.1 million of it guaranteed. He's gonna get incentives for if he hits a certain amount of rushing yards and rushing touchdowns. Trey Lance has his top target, and there was Debo was wanting a trade, but it seems that the 49ers and his his agent and Debo himself was able to patch up that kind of damaged and broken relationship, and that's a good weapon to have as for Trey Lance, who's going to be making his first doing making his first action as an NFL starter now. You know, with that whole trade, I don't think um, Debo is actually serious about that. I think he just told the Niners, I'm not going to step on this football field until you pay me because he knew how valuable he was to the Niners and how much they needed him. And with the Niners not having um, a first round pick this year, I don't care if you would have gotten a couple first round picks for Debo Samuel, uh, Chris Olive, Jameson Williams. 
Garrett Wilson, Drake London, uh, Jahan Dotson, any other first-round receiver that I could come up with this year, he's not Debo Samuel. Uh, the Niners knew they wanted him. Debo just wanted to collect that bag because when he does miss six games this year because he pulled his groin, at least he's getting paid. Uh, so I, I think that whole uh, trade demand was just um, he's trying to handcuff the 49ers and paying, him, paying his money. But on the field, you can't dispute what this dude can do. Yeah, and he's already and, having an impact because it was signed. He was practicing today. And the article yep. I was reading from Trent Williams was quoted as saying that there was a, some extra juice there with him back. And yep. I'm excited to see him and Trey Lance with, and George Kittle along with their running backs who I don't, I don't, is Mostert, Mostert, is he back healthy this year? Or is he uh, most, cut, most or? Signed, signed with Miami this That's offseason. right. Yep. yep. So they he have, went, uh, is it Elijah, Elijah Brooks? Is it, or who's their running back that they had? I, it, the name, the name is slipping me right now because it seems like the Niners, they have two or three backs, you know, every year. And they got that powerful offensive line where it just, it doesn't matter who the running back is. They could you know, come off with a, with a broken ankle and then they pull off someone from their bench and they, they go for 17 carries, one ten and two touchdowns. Yeah. Um, running backs. They've got. Yeah. Or is it Elijah I, Mitchell? Yeah. Elijah Mitchell. That's the, Elijah that's it. That's Trey that's Sermon, that. Jeff Wilson, Cal juice He's the fullback, but. And then also let's not forget how good Debo was in that Super Bowl two years ago. Um. You know, I think he's you no know, Ustech scored a couple touchdowns, but he had a couple nice, um, you know, third down conversions on the ground. And when the Niners needed a big play, Debo, Debo made that for him. So he's been doing it since his rookie year. You know, last year was his time on the scene. But if you remember watching these Niners since 2019, Debo has been a dude. And, um, you know, it's always nice to see guys get paid. And he deserved it. Yeah, exactly. And he's, he's he plays one of those. Well, basically, because I don't even I think he's essentially treated as like an offensive weapon where he's not considered a receiver, but he's also running back. Like they said, we have those, he's got those rushing yards and rushing touchdown incentives built in for him. So, but the nice part with this contract is, is they paid him on an average yearly salary as a wide receiver. Yep. You know, over that $20 million mark a year, because no running back I think is ever going to come near that ever again. Wouldn't I wouldn't after after watching Zeke go through what he's what he's nope. been since he signed that contract? I've I, I've come to the conclusion that our buddy Jeff Schwartz has said for a long time is after that for, you don't give a running back a second contract because nope. there's even I'm almost at that point too with like receivers as well because there's just so much talent cycling through drafts every year where you don't you can get rid of them and just cycle a new guy in because that's one of the easier positions to adjust to, I believe from in the NFL. And it's not easy for receivers, but it's one of the easier because it's not offensive line where you're a boy playing against a grown man. Mm-hmm. Well, just l- look at the last two drafts. You've had Justin Jefferson in 2020 who finalists for offensive player of the year coming in wide receiver position, his college best friend, Jamar Chase, 2021 Offensive Rookie of the Year. Um, you're not going to see many running backs coming in and taking this league over by storm, but you can with receivers just with the play calling 
in getting these guys in space and just how freaky athletic, <laughs> you know, just these, the way the game is set up now where it the favors the game. offense so much. Oh, exactly. So I think every year going forward, your offensive rookie of the year is either going to be a quarterback or a wide receiver. Yep. And so this begs the question is where do you see Jimmy Garoppolo putting on a uniform next? I can't answer that because Jimmy's going to get traded somewhere where something happens in camp. Um, a quarterback goes down with a freaky leg injury. Like when, uh, when Tannehill tore his ACL in 2017 and the Dolphins needed a guy, they signed Jay Cutler. It, it'll be kind of a situation like that. Um, like let's say the Cincinnati Bengals, for some reason, Joe Burrow, um, goes down with the season ending injury. Um, the Bengals want to win now and they need a quarterback. Uh, cause who's, I don't even, um, the, the quarterback from Arkansas, he's, he's the Bengals backup. I mean, Jimmy G is better than him. What if, what if Kirk cousins, you know, you know, goes down a guy like a guy, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Russell Wilson, it's going to, what if Tom Brady gets hurt? He, losing Ryan Jensen this week. What if some? What if someone comes and bull rushes the center and falls on Tom's knee again? So where I'm going with that is, I think you can have a team who thinks they can win the Super Bowl, or they're just on that cusp where their starting quarterback gets hurt, and they need an option now. And Jimmy's the best one out there okay, because yeah. all those other guys that I talked about, they're locked in. They're not going anywhere. Um, Jimmy G's on the move, and it's going to be someone I think who gets hurt. Or, you know, what the situation in Buffalo. I mean, I'm, I'm taking Jimmy G over Matt Barkley. With, if, they can, if the Bills can establish that running game with that defense they had last year, Jimmy G would be just fine in a situation like that. Oh, yeah, for sure. I've, I've heard possibly and then, the Giants as well. Yeah, the Giants. And then also, when I look at those situations, it would just be for a year. And, you know, Jimmy's a free agent after this year. So then Brady, Allen, Mahomes, Herbert, they get hurt. Jimmy G goes there, plays for the rest of the year, and he's a free agent. And if he balls out, he's going to get paid again. Yep. And he, I mean, his record speaks for himself. He's won. He's made it to two NFC championship games, made it to a Super Bowl, was a play away from winning the Super Bowl. So, they, and, also, and, and, and he's a locker room guy. And ever, I've never heard anybody from the San Patriots Francisco. or San Francisco say a bad word about him. Well, then also, let's not forget this year. The Niners were a dropped interception away from winning the NFC championship game. They're up 17-7 in that game. And Tariff or Tarft, that safety, you know, unfortunately, he's dropped the arm, the punt, the arm punt that Stafford threw to him, and they couldn't get there. So we're, you know, looking at a guy who could have been to two of the last three Super Bowls. And I'll say it, the 49ers would have beat the Bengals again like they beat him in the regular season. So Jimmy G's finally got his own Super Bowl ring that he won. Yeah, and so it's be something to keep an eye on, and we'll kick it over to Grant because he has curveball of the week. So yeah, Dylan. So like I said, you know, two weeks ago now, you know, went down to Oklahoma to help my sister move, and they're you know going through the extreme heat wave that is the southern part of this country in the summertime, you know. Um, it's 105 degrees during the day at 10 o'clock at night when it's dark outside, it's still hundred degrees and it's just hot. So that got me thinking of the two extremes that we have in Minnesota and North Dakota, extreme heat where it's 105 
and you can't breathe outside because it's humid and it's just miserable. Would you prefer to work in those conditions outside or in the conditions that we get that we're known for where it's 20 below with the wind chill and it's absolutely freezing? So we're on the polar opposite of weather. Which one do you prefer and why? Oh, it's easy. I'll take the heat. I, I had a job where I used to work in the cold where I wasn't able to wear gloves because I was working with my hands and it was you weren't able to work with gloves on. And it got cold and you're out there. It's wind. It's blowing. It's hurting your face. It's terrible. With the heat, yeah, you, you, you sweat, but at least you're warm. And I can manage it there. You can go cool off in the air conditioning, different things like that. But when it is 30 below out and the wind's blowing and knocks it down to about negative 50 below wind chill, mm -hmm. that, that's a thousand percent worse. I would, I will take the heat any day over miserable cold. Yeah. And I'm with you. And the big thing is this dude, when it's hot and the wind's blowing, that doesn't hurt my face. Like when it's cold <laughs> and, and the wind is blowing. It doesn't take me an extra 10 minutes to get ready to leave in the morning because I got to start my car. Um, it doesn't shut my whole body down where it takes me 15 minutes to thaw out. I don't feel like I'm going to lose my 10 toes to frostbite. And your point, what if you got to get in your house and use a key? You got these big bulky winter gloves off and the two seconds it takes to take those off and you grab your metal key, you feel like your fingers are going to fall off. And it's like, you listen to people in Arizona and Florida and talk, oh, it's so hot. We can't do anything in the summer. Well, yeah, you can. You just wake up and go outside between 7 and 10. And then, sure, it's 100 degrees at night, but you go out then. Uh, I'd, I'd much rather be stuck in the heat than, than the cold like that. That's, that's just a no-brainer for me. Oh, yeah. It, it, and that is, if you're working outside all day, it takes you like an hour and a half just to warm back up. Exactly. And, then and also, not to mention, your, the gas mileage we get in the winter is just awful. Well, I mean, you're spending you know, half your your most of the time your vehicle you're is warming your running just because you're warming it up. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, well, I get, you know, about 30 miles to the gallon in the summer. Oh, we're going to dip that down to about 17 in the wintertime. Um, it's just, it's, it's just, it's just not good. So, yeah, I just, I was kind of thinking about that. Today. I was like, God, they're, they're both extremes. They both kind of suck. But which one would you prefer if you had to? Yeah. Give me the heat all day for sure. And, you know, the, the I like doing people, activities outside when it's warm anyway. So, yeah. And it's like, you know, the old argument people have, well, uh, I can always put on more clothes than I can take off. Yeah, but then you can't move. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? You can't move, and then you don't know which pocket your phone is at, um, where where your gloves went. Did I put my keys inside on my jeans, and I got to go through my coat and these bibs that I'm wearing? It's like, it's just, it's 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 awful. <laughs> yeah, it is. And one more thing before we wrap up here: Hall of Fame game is tonight. It's the Raiders versus. Jaguars, the Jags, and let's give a uh, a free pick away here, Grant, because you know first football game of the year. You have to, you can't not bet it. Which is, it, it, it's the, I don't make the rules. 
but who do you have? Jacksonville is a one-point favorite. This game is at Six Mountain on NBC. Um, give me the Jags. You like the Jags? Okay. I like the Jags just because they're more of an inexperienced young team. They don't know what their roster is going to be like. So those guys in the second to third quarter, they're going to be fighting a little harder than the, Raider, the Raiders roster because there is a chance that these players playing for the Jags not only can make the team, but get good, significant playing time. And then I think also with the debacle that was Urban Meyer last year, getting Doug Peterson in there, even though it is just a preseason game, I think there's going to be a little more juice and a little more life for this, these Jags team. And they're going, to, they're going to take it more seriously. McDaniels and Derek Carr and Devontae Adams, they're going to be horsing around all week in practice. They don't care. I, I just think Peterson's going to have, for the preseason, these guys lined up and the Jags will win. Um, if, but if this was a regular season game, I hate to say it, but I'd go the Raiders by 10 points. Well, and, and this game is going to be played in Canton. I would be shocked if Derek Carr actually even plays this game, even suits up for that matter. That's, I guess what I'm saying, but they'll just be horsing around yeah. on the side. Not, yeah. Not do it ever and just kind of lollygagging. So Jacksonville minus one. The, the over under is 30 and a half. Over under. What do you think hits? 30 and a half. That's a low number. Whew, but yeah, seven. I'm going to say the under. I'll say it's right on 30. I'll say 17, 13 Jags. Okay. You heard it here first. Hopefully yep. Grant's a better picker of games than I have been to end the NBA season, but we're going to have more, give out more bets as football season starts when the games count regular season. So with that, we'll talk to you next week. Welcome back. Thanks again to Nate Rohr for joining us. It was good to catch up and chat Huskers football with him. Excited and interested to see how their season turns out. Check us out on all of our social media platforms where we will be posting other content. Check out the Three Guys Talking Ball Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at 3G TV Podcast, where we will also be posting short clips of the show and other content. You can also check out our Three Guys Talking Ball YouTube page where we will be posting the full podcast if you want to see the video version. That puts a bow on this week's episode of the Three Guys Talking Ball Podcast. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week.